the start, the struggles, the pain and joy. This is how you started lah podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, today we have a very special guest because uh, he is an MC, he is an entertainer, he is an event producer, he is the CEO of Jiggy, a creative event agency. So let's welcome Jiggy John. What's up, brother? I'm good, man. How have you been? Very uh, good. In life, treating you? Uh, you know, really coming to enjoy this uh, slower pace of life, although it's really not slower because now you're banging out five, six Zoom meetings a day. So you have no excuse of being on the way, caught in traffic jam and <laughs> all, all manner of Malaysian evil. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But otherwise, really good, actually. And, and I'm actually getting used to this, the new norm. Mm. <laughs> And must be like a big change, right? Especially like following your Insta stories, you're always on the go. Like I always see like, okay, I'm doing a side check now in don't know where, in Langkawi. I'm now here, a uh, client meeting and now you're stuck at home. Uh, in your first one week, did it, was it like a drastic change for you? Yeah, the first week was was tough. I mean, just um, just being at home. And in fact, I, I spoke to a lot of friends and this is the most I've ever stayed at home in nine years of owning my place. And... Before that, my home was just a hotel. Uh, especially last year, I traveled the most. I lived in hotels the most last year. And then mm. the irony of this year, it's like, it, the first week was surreal. It got me uh, just finding myself. <laughs> now it's like, woohoo! You know, now it's like the need to go out is, is there really a need to go out? You know, absolutely when necessary only. So it's, I, I'm sure I speak on behalf of many others as well. Everybody's going through this and yeah, it's it's an interesting, uh, interesting time and place to be. Mm. And psychologically, how's it been for you mentally? I mean, like, let's all be honest. Yeah. This, no one saw this virus outbreak. And when it happened, a lot of industries are massively uh, affected, like tourism, uh, events. So how, how, how was that for you personally? Well, I mean, I have nothing to hide because at the end of the day, I speak on, I'm just going to be a voice of everyone I know in my industry. It's been an absolute roller coaster, dude. Yeah, um, yeah. From being scared shitless <laughs> to mm. to being, uh, I mean, the anxiety, the 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 worries, the burdens that we all carry. I mean, it's been shackling us. And I and I, I mean, I've been. This is the one time I've actually connected the most with my fellow industry practitioners, uh, only because, um, I mean, yes, we're healthy competitors, but we're friends. But we've never had time to catch up with each other. Like, hey, how you doing? Or what's going on? And then suddenly now we have all this time in the world. And we're actually Correct. we're actually looking out for each other. I mean, especially us, the, the fellow uh, event company owners, because only we understand the burden or the yoke that we carry on our shoulders. Mm. Uh, and and it became absolutely prevalent once the reality of this entire thing sunk in, especially mm. when the cancellations just started coming. Because for me, the the cancellations began in late January, so I already started experiencing it early. Only, yep. only because my clients are, are the Fortune 500, they are global companies, and mm. they, they, they had to, the initiative started in the HQs across the globe, right? Uh, whether in Europe or North America. And yep. um, so, you know, I was starting to get the ripples of, of how bad this is about to get, but the Correct. shit truly hit the ceiling in April once everybody was in lockdown. And initially, we were still doing the prep for events that were coming up in November and October. And then the, yeah. the axe dropped by end of uh, April mm. or mid-April. And uh, that's when we realized the reality of um, of this. You know, I've got my, I got one more cancellation all the way till January. And that was one of the reasons I was going to Langkawi. So anyways, mm. uh, long story short, you know, this year alone, I've lost opportunities in Bali, in Bangkok, you know, mm. and, and let's not even talk about KL. But, it gave us the chance to pivot uh, and upskill ourselves or educate ourselves on this uh, option of virtual events. Um, of course, everybody has jumped on the bandwagon now, but me and my yeah. team have spent the last one month just familiarizing ourselves, uh, teaching ourselves the platforms, and now we're ready to go. So next week onwards, we're starting to do live demos with clients on the platform that we have, You know, from webinars to launches to award ceremonies and, you know, all the other kind of op uh, opportunities that virtual events uh, presents itself. So um, I guess when I started, the feeling was almost despair 
because it's like, especially for me, you know, turning 20, what a year to turn 20 or what a time in life to turn 20, you know, when, as I mentioned in my post, the worst yeah. possible time when the, my business thrives on us being social beings and now with social distancing, it's like, yeah. you know, the, uh -huh. the average event planner is, as you can tell, you've probably seen it on your timeline. I, I've lost track of how many jokers are selling disinfection chambers to uh, masks and all yeah. all night, the whole nine yards of, of reinventing themselves in this current time. I mean, kudos to them for, for rising to that game. But I steered clear of, of jumping on that bandwagon. I, I, I've focused uh, or chosen to focus myself on just, I know what I do best and that's events. So if my physical events have now been plugged for the for the short term or potentially longer term uh, the new norm as we know it and it depends on how long this stretches at least till the vaccine comes out and normalcy returns uh, so hence the it took me a while to come to grasps with the fact that okay so it looks like uh, let's try virtual you know because mm. um I realized I was doing that already with all the live streams that I started jumping on with. So the beauty of uh, so that's when I so to actually uh, not to digress, but I actually uh, spent ninety percent of my time in showman mode in the initial bits of um, MCO, and I woke up mm. to reality and remembered that I had a business to save, which was events. And then I was like, oh, okay, we better. I might want to put some effort in there, and that's where the last two weeks I went into overdrive with my team. Mm. Uh, so. It was good because what I did in my personal time, trying all these platforms, um, fooling around with you know streaming and yada yada yada, taking my own uh, carpool talk show to an online version from trying Zoom to Skype to then um, you know the live stream platforms that I I've gotten involved in, all that came together when I decided to, okay, I'm going to do virtual events. So automatically, I realized that already, uh, given myself a short upskilling. Uh, class or two in the weeks leading up to me realizing that it's time to focus on virtual events. So all in all, it's been an, a, a hell of a two months. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the emotional roller coaster that I've been on, and I'm telling you, I'm happy to speak openly because uh, I think uh, men should never hide and say that, you know, we are strong all the time. We might be strong. We are supposed to be strong. We, we're told to be strong and we're not supposed to show our emotions or wear our emotions on our shirt sleeves. But the truth of the matter is, this is probably the scariest time ever to be a business owner. I think this, I speak for all business owners, irrelevant of the industry you're in. And I mean, I'm mm. a small fry. La. I can only imagine what Tony Fernandez is going through, la, you know, because, yeah. you know, him being my biggest client to date, uh, and having just run a, an amazing event for them in in December to then fast oh I saw that yeah, yeah and to fast party, forward right? yeah to fast forward four months to this you know rest assured I'm not going to be doing a single event for him this year like without him telling me I already know his focus is to save his business and make sure he keeps his airline afloat so that yep. that cascades down to me my focus now is to make sure that I I keep my business afloat and I pivot and 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 find ways to tell my clients that we are remaining relevant, that we're staying relevant. So yeah. I think those were the emotions that I was uh, struggling with in the early weeks uh, from despair to hope to then despair again to then hope. So, you know, mm. for, for two... I can relate with that, bro. You know, for two weeks, I couldn't sleep until 7 a.m. Oh, I wow. Just, I, and I've never been this bad in my lifetime. So I've only been sleeping well now for about a week. And in fact, today I had the best sleep of my life. I slept like a rock star and woke up at uh, one o'clock, uh, twelve o'clock. So oh. I mean, I went to bed at two lah. So for me, that's like woohoo. But the the first uh, like for two weeks, and then I I started reaching out to my fellow industry practitioners, and it turns out that quite a few of us were in the same boat. And after doing more reading and and just trying to understand, it turns out it's a, it's anxiety. We we were all going through anxiety because, uh, and it's it's become a thing of of now because of the fact that the entire uh, economic scene globally and, and for business owners is just in major upheaval. I mean, I'm pandemic, pandemic, that's, that's, but the reality, the economical uh, upheaval is going to ring for years, uh, for years. And the thing is, I've Correct. got so many friends in America, so I get first-hand accounts of what's going on. And of mm. course, it's it's really bad there. It is bad here, but it's yeah. really bad there. You studied in Michigan, right? Michigan, correct. 
Did you see the protesters in Michigan? No lah. I I oh, you I, didn't see. You mean the recent? Oh no no the the you mean the the dudes with carrying their guns, guns. and running around? Yes, oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Pretty numb. You see, I I went through the epitome of rednecks twenty years ago, and twenty years later, nothing has changed lah. Nothing. Yeah, be- because when I saw, it, I knew you studied in US. Yeah. But I never knew which part of US you see. So right. when I read your resume. The Michigan. Oh, how convenient! Yesterday I just watched a video. Correct. Of one guy carrying a bomb. He's yeah. going to Starbucks or is it a cafe? He said, "I'm buying my coffee, but I want to feel safe, so I need a gun." <laughs> Freaking numb nuts, <laughs> I tell you. Really, I, I, you know, I don't know what to say, lah. But yeah, I okay. I totally. I wasn't expecting about the 7 a.m. thing. Like mm. I, I thought like, cause to me, yeah, to be honest, in all the people that I know, mm. you're like at the top of my list when it comes to like a hustler, when it comes to like someone with high productivity. So I, it's interesting that you have said that to shows that, to show that you know everyone is human. We're all human, bro. I mean, yeah. you see, I, I have a public head. I have a, so everybody's got three lives. You know, we've got a public life, a private life, and a secret life. So what people mm. only see is my public life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the nature of the game, you know. As a showman, as a, a show producer, you 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 don't you don't show the other side to you. You know, very very few people know that side to me, and yep. so half the time for people like us in this industry, you battle these demons in your head in your own time, lah. Mm. So, so which life am I listening to now? Uh I would say a combination of <laughs> no, a combination of uh, public and private, lah. Okay, but okay. definitely not secret, lah. Nobody knows your secret life, right? I uh, then I think we'll end this episode, lah. <laughs> I thought re- I thought the seven AM was secret, bro. No lah, dude. I mean, I mean, the <laughs> it's their bigger stuff, lah. Well, no lah. I mean, you know what I'm saying is, is like, can you imagine? Like, I go to bed at two and I'm falling asleep at seven because it's like your mind is just there's just no end to all that you're go- you're running through in your head, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about mental health, right? You see, physical health. If you get a bruise, yep, you know what to do. Right, because you've got a small cut, like you can see it. So even though, yeah, it looks painful, but the thing about mental health is, what do I do? Like, where's the limit? Like, Correct. Where does the cut start? Where does it end? So that's the, that's the most difficult thing, I would say. True that, <clears throat> and it's taken this to, to re, re kind of like for me to hit, hit the realization that whoa, you know, this this stuff is legit, lah, you know. But mm. you know, I think it was a necessary evil to go through all of it. Uh, and and now that I can say that I've come out of that, um, a bit of a learning curve, lah. You know, I'm just glad that, you know, I and I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, going through all that I've gone through. I mean, I don't have any regrets, and this has just been another one of it, you know. And I realized, yep. you know, my life was never meant to be normal. I've accepted that fact now a long time ago. Mm. Uh, although there are times I still ask myself, why me, lah? You know. But then yep. I realize when you're when you're fired up that way, then you know it, it is what it is, lah. You know, and you get used to that, and mm. yeah. So, yep. So, in a yep. nutshell, you know, it's it's been interesting. Um, mm. And for what it's worth, I'm I'm looking forward to what's coming next, lah. Yeah, I like your positivity, and a good thing that you brought up <clears throat> that Jiggy turns twenty, because like for twenty twenty, it's also a big year for me, because when twenty eighteen I left my job. Yep. A lot of people said, Gajan, will you be doing your one-hour special yep. the following year, 2019? And I said no, because I wanted to just focus on going full-time yep. and uh, making sure that I can sustain financially. And right. 2019, there were ups and downs, but overall, I was very happy with that year. So even though I had very uh, rock-bottom uh, scenarios, but there were scenarios where it was so high and overall, the year was being great. So end of 2019, I told myself, 2020 August, I'm going to do my one-hour special. Right. And I even invited Netflix to watch my special if they can. They are from Singapore. But if they can come down to KL and watch, it'll be great. And then the virus came out in January. And uh, yeah, everything is gone, man. Yeah. But again, I'm thinking positive because uh, I've always told myself that, you know, the greatest people on earth, they always came out out of hard times. Yeah. No one had like an easy story to tell and no one wants to listen to an easy story. True. You get what I mean? True. So, Jiggy may turn 20 on a very difficult year. But I still feel that this year may may open a new path for all of us. No, for sure. And, I mean, yeah. And so initially, it was me just lamenting in the corner and licking my wounds, lah. And then finally, mm-hmm. I realized, like you know, all is not lost because I guess when I started putting the word out that you know I was now providing virtual events, and suddenly the buzz, like people were reaching out to me. I'm like, oh, okay. 
So maybe this happened for a reason for me to reinvent my, myself and, and, you know, give and my day job and all that. So I guess that was the, it, it brought me back to 20 years ago, you know, like when I started out. And so basically now I'm a startup in virtual events, which is nothing more than saying that after learning classic events 20 years, for 20 years, now you go into this. So I think yeah. I picked myself up and I said, okay, if I did that 20 years ago, so now I just have to reinvent myself for now, lah. You know, and and yeah. and that's when Spot on. I pretty much um, shook myself from the out of the doldrums that I was in, and yeah. uh, so far it's been good, lah. I mean, so I think it, mm. if I were to chronicle the entire MCO and the entire uh, you know scenario, quite interesting, lah. And I'm sure almost everyone, at least who's a business owner, because you see, uh, for the average man who's a wage earner. Sitting at home and shaking legs and drawing their salary for them, this has been a bloody holiday, you know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because most of them are still earning their salary, so nothing. Correct. It's been a paid holiday for fuck's sakes. Yeah, they've not been affected in any form and way. Whereas for yeah. us who are having the overheads that we have, having the mm. the businesses that we have to run, having to pay Correct. the people that we have to pay, good lord, this is scary beyond belief, right? So I mean, yeah. I can imagine if I'm going through this, what the hell is Tony going through, man? I mean, I'm talking yeah. about a few kuching kurab, hundred thousand here and there, hundreds of thousands. He's talking billions, you know. Yep. You know, so yeah, yeah. But you know, all is good. So I think you caught me at the right time when I'm not so morose and uh, you know sitting in the corner and beating myself up mentally, physically, and spiritually. So this is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and good thing that you mentioned about reinventing yourself mm-hmm. because uh, I I echo that, and not only that, uh, I think a few years ago. Virtual shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rizal Van Gezel, he asked uh, this comedian called uh, Daliso. Mm-hmm. He's a UK comic who appeared in Britain's Got Talent. Dude, I even tried to bring set, him yeah. here. When he, The moment he hit the golden buzzer, right after that, I was already yeah. reaching out to him. I was trying to bring mm-hmm. him here for private shows. So I'm, I love his stuff. Yeah, he did a virtual set and I enjoyed it, right? Yep. And uh, Rizal asked, you know, do you have any advice for the Malaysian comedians, you know, in this virtual world? And he said the exact same thing that Comedians, are, they, they have spent so much of years mm-hmm. going up on stage, telling jokes, crafting your material. And then now you come to the online world and you start from ground zero again. You can't, you can't copy and paste exactly everything, whatever you have done. Yep. Like what you said now, you know, like you have been doing events like for 20 years, specialized. And then now you go to virtual, let's relearn, let's adapt ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we are all in the same boat. Uh. You know, you know, they have a saying, right? You adapt or you die. Uh. Correct, correct. Mm. Until today, you know, that one example that always uh, keeps me awake and keeps me learning is the Nokia example. You know, at one point, everyone was asking, you know, what Nokia do you use? Yep. And until today, it's like just gone. Until today, uh, that example still scares me, you know. Uh-huh. So, because like in high school, that used to be the, the, the first sentence when people ask about your handphone and to see now everyone's using Apple, Samsung and all your Huawei's. So, it uh, it pushes me like, to constantly learn and upskill like. Yeah, so mm. it's, it's been good, lah. You know, I love it. Okay, I want to talk about when you started off as a clown. Yes, sir. And the reason why I like this uh, this part of you is because I don't know much clowns. Really? I only have one friend, by the way. I only have one friend. Who? His name is Padma. Okay. I don't know whether you know him. He uh, he was from the same university as me, okay. Monash. Okay. And he used to do a... He was a part-time clown. And that's when I started stand-up comedy at that time as well. This was back in 2012. Okay. So, I don't know whether you know him. He's, I think his, his name is Milo. No he's a clown. No you la. don't know? Huh? No. Yeah, I think he stopped, he stopped doing... A, he stopped being a clown. Already, yeah, I think he's probably now an engineer somewhere. Okay. Which is the typical Indian path. La. <laughs> <laughs> My father says, stop clowning around and just be an engineer. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So, I only know two, two people. Uh, you and Padma. La. So, that's why this is interesting. Okay, my question to you is, so you started in 97. Yep. What made you pick uh, this path? Well, I was broke and I needed money. Mm. So, that's what it was actually. It was nothing more than that. Ah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just needed to earn extra money mm. and uh, came across this uh, clown company uh, that was based in my neighborhood. So, my mates were already uh, part-timing for them. So yeah. that one day, my mate couldn't go for that gig, which was January of 97. So he just said, hey, you wanted some part-time job, right? Okay, you're going to cover for me. So I went. Lah. Oh, Th- wow. Just like that. Just like that. So it turns out my oh. first gig was going to some some luxury condo in Ampang. 
It was a poolside birthday party for some young kiddo. And I had to jump in a pink gorilla mascot suit. Like huge pink, furry, neon pink, uh, like time.com neon pink. Oh, <laughs> and but for one hour lah, so I had to jump around, you know, in the in the mascot, run around, take photos, play with the kids, and okay. I got thirty ringgit. And for me, I felt like a millionaire because at that point in time, to earn thirty ringgit, you had to work ten hours in McDonald's, which paid three hours a day, uh, which paid uh, three ringgit an hour. So ah. options were limited, and I I needed to have extra money. Uh, and that's what it was. So I I did that, and then for three for three months I used to uh, because the boss was like more or less started. I, I told him after that hey, I need more gigs. Can you call me every weekend if you need somebody? So then mm. the next week I think my buddy who I stood in for came for the next gig, and I helped as well because he needed extra hands or whatever. Mm. And then my buddy, as usual, got sidetracked. That fellow also has very short attention span. So it became me, and then March was like, I've got an extra clown gig tomorrow. Can you do it? I said, Hell no! I said, I'm carrying your bags. I'll jump in a mascot suit, but I'm not becoming a clown. And my my boss is like, I'll pay you fifty bucks. Oh, I said fifty ringgit. Huh? Okay, let's go. So fifty mm. ringgit for one hour. So it was the layer of the money. So my first gig was actually a uh, uh, utter fiasco because my boss man threw me under the bus. Lah, he dumped me at one house in Damansara Heights. Uh, mm. another rich Malay family who he has done like all their kids and this is their last kid, the fifth kid or something and the youngest one. So okay. he chucks me there and he goes and I had to put on my own makeup. I had to, all this from memory of what I saw him doing only in three months and just visually. Uh. Oh. So this guy was a real champ, lah, you know, like, I mean, first of all, I think it, I thought it was unfair to the family because yeah. he was being a greedy bastard by chucking me there while he went off to his other gig and by not planning adequately to prep me for it. So if you talk about being thrown in the deep end, this is the epitome of it. Lah. Mm. So anyways, I was dressing up in their powder room downstairs, you know, in this huge mansion. Yeah. The best of what I could do. Lah. Came out, uh, I was doing my show, whatever I saw him do. So while doing this fire magic, I almost set my clown wig on fire. Oh, and, and then when I was jumping around playing a game, I almost knocked over one huge family portrait hanging behind me. <laughs> yeah, and so by the time I was done, I looked like it. My entire face was melting because the makeup wasn't done right. Okay, so in the three years I worked for him, this my my sifu, as much as I love the guy for setting me up for where I am today, he had never perfected the art of professional clown makeup. And it's only when I went to clown school when I had the opportunity in Michigan for one week in the summer of two thousand did I actually learn. Sorry, the summer of yeah, 2000. Did I actually learn the proper techniques of clown makeup? So, ah. anyway, so uh, that that first gig was 50 ringgit. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Then he's like, okay, hey, tomorrow I got one more show. My nephew's birthday, you come and do. I was like, oh, God. So, it was in McDonald's of Taipan in USJ. Mm. I dressed up in their broom closet. So, my ex-clown uh, boss came from a family of clowns. I think he had four brothers. At some point, all four of them had already done it. So his younger brother literally came into the, the broom room to help me touch up and all that. This and the nephews that were having their birthday party was actually another brother. So these boys were four and they're twins, Neil and Nigel. They, they are quite uh, socialites in the scene today. And uh, they run a rent-a-pot. Uh, they, they run this uh, landscaping company and they've done very well for them. So in fact, you should interview them at some point. So mm. I did their birthday and my my boss paid me fifty bucks, but the 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 kicker there was after that the their father gave me a tip of hundred ringgit, so I just made hundred fifty ringgit on my second clown gig, and I told my boss, okay, I'm in, just send me out there. So mm. it took me six months of doing gigs, uh, just copying and pasting what I saw him do before I developed my own style, and mm. within six months I realized I was a natural, and and that was it. And in less than a year, he was sitting at home because I was powering all his shows. He, all his clients only wanted me. Ah. So he was sitting at home. I will come back every weekend. I remember there was one weekend I did nine clown shows in two days. Wow. Saturday and Sunday, nine shows. And I only had three clown suits and I bought myself an old junk car, a Ford Escort that was older than me. And the boot also couldn't... I used to tie down with raffia string. Lah. So hmm. um, I remember going gig to gig and in between, and that car had no aircon, no fan, you know, because it was an old British car. At the windows mm. that were louver windows. So I used to open mm. and in the rain oh drive with a good morning towel and wipe the windows, you know. So in between shows, I'll air one costume outside, not outside, but in the back seat and drive like a maniac <laughs> from Ampang to Shah Alam to Subang. So, anyways, it was good stuff because on good months, I made up to 2,000 ringgit 
while oh, just this was back then is a lot man yeah and and this is just weekend gigs and mind you he charges 450 ringgit he only pays me 50 ringgit do the math on how many shows i was doing and what he was banking oh yeah that that's bad lah bro but, that's a but, big cut but yeah but you know for what it's worth lah i yeah, la. i think it that, that's where the the it sets you up to realize that if you work hard you can, because and some nobody I knew at eighteen nineteen was making that kind of money unless you were a drug dealer, lah. Mm. You know, and um, mm-hmm. it was money that I I used on myself, so I was able to, uh, you know, give myself a few nicer luxuries. I mean, like I even bought that old car with my own money. The car was three thousand mm. ringgit. I remember. Um, Why you didn't get a Nissan Sunny? Eh? more reliable, right? Too expensive, bro. I, I couldn't afford it. Really? Yeah. Oh, so this car I bought for three thousand ringgit, and it was a twenty-two-year-old car. <laughs> yeah, so yeah lah. I mean, it was just that, and then so the only reason I went up to the UK uh, to America is because uh, my grandparents came through and 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 sent me off. Like, I wasn't my, my folks never had the means. That's why you'd be wondering why the hell are you saying that you need to work so hard. So that's mm. why I grew up without anything lah. I just worked. I've worked for everything I had. So mm. yeah. So yeah, that was that lah. So at the end of the third year, when I was with him, so ninety seven. So by ninety eight, every weekend he was giving me a new clown name lah, Robbie, Tito, Dino. Till I told him, you know, enough is enough. I'll I'll mull over it and I'll come up with my own clown name. So at that mm. point, uh, the song by Will Smith, "Getting Jiggy with It," was uh, riding high in the chart. Mm. I, I was I was clubbing and partying to those to that song lah, among others. And so I I had an epiphany and I said, ah, Jiggy. So it was spelled the way it was spelled in the song, which is J I G G Y. Then, ah. and the only reason it became the way it's spelled is when I got to the states, and there's another story there. So yeah, I I automatically chose the name Jiggy, and and that's where. So technically, Jiggy, me and my brand, '98 uh, lah is when I chose the name. Mm. Yeah. So my idol, who I ever wish I could meet and hopefully tell my story one day, would be Will Smith lah. Because he's a hustler and he's been hustling yep. from day one. Uh, he's 10 years my senior. La. So I think it would be cool for him to know like, bloody hell, I set somebody else off on his own little path all the way in this neck of the woods. Uh, and mm. it, it came from a song line you know, and I built this brand. So yeah. Yeah. So that was that. And uh, did a whole bunch of clown shows until I had the chance to go study in Michigan. La. So you did until 2002, right? That was your yeah, last clown last gig, gig, right? Correct. So what made you do that transition? What what made you say, you yeah. know, maybe it's time to so, a new phase? So just to fast forward, you know, spend the two years in America, came back because of 9-11, couldn't get a job. So I had no plans to come back to Malaysia, uh, just to set that straight. Because I had nothing to come back to. I was a business degree. My dream was to go to America, figure out life, start my American dream and happy days, mm. la, you know? Yeah, like the dream. La. Yeah, and, and all my <laughs> friends who graduated in the year 2000, they're all still there. They all, they've all become Americans. I'm talking about the Malaysians, lah. Okay. Yeah, most of them, anyways. Mm. And um, so nine eleven happened. So I came back home, broke, no money. Had in fact flew back home on free miles on my on my airline ticket because I had air miles from the traveling back and forth thing. So I came back, and a week after I arrived, December sixth, I just went ahead and registered my company, Jiggy Entertainment, just for fun lah. While I went for job interviews, but it was only when I did that New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve gig because my mate. So another funny story, when I left for the States, like the, immediately after that, the week after, my boss had all these clown shows coming and for two years he had become a lazy bastard because I was doing all the shows. Yep. So he was inundated. So he went and recruited one of my best friends and mm. guess how much he offered him? Because like, my buddy's like, fuck off, I'm not doing it. Then he's like, I'll pay you this. My friend is like, okay, I'm in. Guess how much he paid my friend per gig? 150? Yeah, man. Three times. Really? Just, yeah. Yes, I'm not kidding. <laughs> So automatically, uh, he was willing to raise the bar. You know, I was like, uh, "You punk ass motherfucker! You <laughs> you took advantage of me. You know, cow cow nicely used me for two two and a half years, three years, and then when you were desperate, automatically the economies of scale came into play." Uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, and you're there having the American dream, lah. <laughs> big dream, lah. I mean, I was my first gig. I my my first job when I got there was I was campus security. I used to work as a security guard in the middle of the night through the night graveyard shift in mm. minus 25 Michigan winters. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, I did a whole bunch of uh, part-time gigs in America. Like, I sold knives door-to-door. I sold football tickets during the football season. Sorry, you sold knives? Sir. Yeah. I, I, there was a, a really high-end brand of 
uh, knives that are diamond uh, sharpened. Uh, cost, uh, Cutco. Cutco is a premium oh. brand of American knives. They okay. supposedly last a lifetime. You pass it down to the next generation. So mm. kitchen knives lah, not military lah. Yeah, yeah, obviously that day. Because you say Michigan, you never know, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, that's now lah. Yeah. yeah so right, then, right. Uh, yeah, I I worked in a as a camp counselor. I I did. Uh, I sold uh, pizza books door to door. I did Kmart Mastercards. When you enter the Kmart, I try to recruit people to sign up credit card. You know, mm, mm. I did that. Um, what else did I do? Um, I mean, my clowning was just one of the many things. I did. Ah, then the longest job I had was actually I was a AV technician on campus. So I used to go set up the sound, the lights, uh, video record uh, sessions, all this part-time. Then I even worked for an AV company off campus. So I used to be his roadie. Like, I'll pack speakers, pack, uh, you know, basically like what all my AV guys do at all my events now, I did that. He was a okay. one-man show AV guy. So we used to do a lot of proms and uh, Sweet 16 birthday parties and weddings. So I used mm. to, I used to work for him lah. I was his uh, roadie lah, packing stuff and hauling it in the back of his U-Haul in his truck and go and set up. So it was interesting lah. All this gave me uh, exposure that I, oh yeah, I was also a waiter. I forgot. I worked in a North Indian restaurant for Nepali bosses. Yeah. Ah. So you know that's the beauty of America. You won't be caught dead doing all this in your especially not here in Malaysia because we have immigrant workers doing all this what we call um, you know. De- uh, menial work, right? But over there, yeah. the classic American, it's understood that the moment you turn 18 and you get out of the of your home, you have to fend for yourself. Mm. So when I got there, I saw that, having watched that in movies and all that, and then seeing it in the flesh, you for me, it was just so easy to assimilate myself. Like I'm like, I'm here, I'm going to do it. Of course, technically, we were not allowed to work off campus, but you think that stopped me? I did it. I couldn't care less. Mm. It was it was illegal, by the way, obviously, because as an international student, you're only allowed to work 20 hours on campus. But I was like, fuck it, I am going to push the end, the boundaries. And some of my professors, they caught me working off campus, but instead of telling tales, they gave me better tips. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's when you know that my school, which is a school of management and they teach entrepreneurship, they practice what they preach, lah. Yep. So they saw me hustling outside. They never stopped me. <laughs> la. They were like, onward, uh. Christian soldier, go forth and multiply. <laughs> you know, so I, I really, in fact, a lot of what I am doing today or, or the part that I was set out on, there have been a few pivotal people la, that set me up for it. Of course, my clown boss being one of them, even though yeah. he kind of, you know, had a good laugh at my expense. But I, 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 I say that in jest. I, I have no bitterness for having, hmm. being underpaid or whatever. For me, Mm. What he did set me up for who I am today. And if he never gave me that opportunity, um, and and because you know, I was entertaining, I was in the palaces of the royalties of Malaysia, dude. I did the Pahang Royal Family, the Trunganu Royal Family, the Kedah oh. Royal Family, the uh, Perlis, uh, not Perlis, uh, Para. And till today, my oldest client until now is the Nagri Royal Family. Till today. So oh. the, the Nagri Royal Family boss has seen me from the day I was a clown to me doing all his company events in the last 12 years. And I remember oh. two years or three years ago when I did one of his company events and then we happened to be in the toilet together. He's like, hey, Jiggy, I've seen your journey. Huh? I'm very proud of you. Lah. I was like, are you? Okay, thank you very much, Tunku. We're both taking a piss at the urinal. No? You know, no. so, but, <laughs> you know, like, it, it was very nice of him to say that because genuinely, he's actually seen me from where I started, you know, Correct. Because yeah. the year I became a clown, his daughter at that point was six years old. And I did her birthdays all the way till she was 16. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and you know, so that family has been very close to me. In fact, I'm supposed to do her cousin's wedding lah, in January, the one that now potentially is going to be cancelled in Langkawi. Uh, mm. So if I do that, that would be the first client. I was his clown at his birthday when the punk was six. And I get to be his wedding planner. Talk about full circle. Mm. Yeah, so that family is very dear to me, lah. The this Nagri royal family, uh, because they they've really been very very kind to me over these years. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I came back from the US, um, and my buddy who was paid that hundred fifty had turned out uh, turned around and started his own entertainment company. So I came back mm. and I was sitting at Raju's over banana leaf and telling him my whole like, what the hell do I do? Then he's like, hey, I got this gig lah up in Genting, uh, clown gig. You come and join me lah. I'll share the piece of the pie with you. I was like, oh, okay, can can. So they were paying him 750 ringgit for Christmas Eve uh, magic show, clown magic mm. show on, on a stage. And he said, I'll give you 250, I'll sapu 500. I said, on. I said, I can't complain. So we both went up there in our clown garb and we did a, a magic show at the First World Hotel. So First World Hotel opened in 2001. 
the okay. original First World Hotel, not the behemoth of a hotel it is today. Mm. It was only the first wing. And the mm. old Times Square was where there was a stage and all that. So him and me jumped up, did our thing. We were wearing mics and all that. We got off stage. The event owners, the Gunting guys, ran to their event company to come and ask us to continue hosting until the countdown. Now, the part that we didn't catch was, or we didn't bother because we were young punks who were having a good time, was they were not paying us ex- anything extra. So they, these fuckers got two countdown MCs for the price of nothing. 750 mm. ringgit and we count down we did the countdown but the difference was uh, we were having so much fun because back then it was gun thing like they asked us to play games so we came up with stage games and you know the prizes that they gave out was like back then la, VCD mm. player I mean mm. to do a game on stage who wouldn't want to win a VCD player yeah, la, yeah. equivalent to maybe a Netflix account now because now DVD player also is worthless la. but yeah. so we had people like body surfing la, taking off their shirts la, licking wasabi off the partner la. I mean all manner mm-hmm. of evil la. so mm. I get off the stage at the countdown once we're done ushered in Christmas and there was a DJ who had been hired and his name is uh, Kuma Master K he goes by Master mm. K he comes to me okay. like hey Jiggy you need to become an MC la. I was like oh I'm in my clown suit with a headset mic I was like bro I, I I know clowning la. I don't know what you're talking about la. He's like, no, bro, you're an MC. I was like, oh, okay, okay, thank you. The next day, the event company calls us. Are y'all available? They want you again for New Year's Eve countdown. We're like, oh, okay, sure. So again hmm. la, same package price. You know, for us, it was more of the fun and opportunity. We were just young men who enjoyed what we did la, You know. Yeah. So we did the New Year's Eve countdown, and again, Kumar was there. He's like, Jiggy, I'm telling you again you have to become an MC or a natural. I was like, oh, MC, yeah? Okay, la, bro, I'll think about this. So that's what happened. Mm. La. I entered 2002. Um, and in January, I started putting myself out there as a clown come MC. La. So for mm. my first MC gig was in May, as I told you, in Lumut for uh, DHL. And mm. and then came the that whole year of doing clown shows and MCing. And my last gig, as I mentioned, was New Year's Eve countdown party at the Petronas Twin Towers. So I supplied 20 clowns. I was in my clown suit. And then I decided that that was the end of it. In the sense of, I didn't need to wear the suit anymore to become the entertainer that I was. Because in 97 and 98, I had very low self-esteem. So if you met me in high school, in fact... I went to an all-boys school and some of my mates who have not met me in 25 years since we've left high school, they can't believe their eyes the person that I've become today. Mm. Because I was a... I was... Yeah, I I had issues with self-esteem. I I was not outgoing or extroverted the way... I, I mean, I was only like that in my circle of good friends. But okay. the moment I met public or especially around, you won't believe it, la, how bashful I was around girls. La. I couldn't even talk to them. Mm. Yeah. So when I got into my clown character behind the, the white face and the, the makeup, and after six months, especially one year into it, when I realized that people actually enjoyed Jiggy the Clown and were booking based on they wanted me, they used to move their birthday parties to meet my schedule day. My clown oh. boss used to take jobs based on when is Jonathan available. Okay, uh, he's got a one o'clock, so you have to wait till 3.30 by the time he finishes there and drives over. Those were the way people were planning their parties because they wanted me, you know. When that oh. happened, uh, I, I started growing into this character. So 2002, I had gained enough confidence to make the decision that I didn't need to be in the makeup to be the showman that I was destined to be. So I had come of age. La. So after six years in a... Because 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. That's six years of being in a clown suit on and off. Yep. I had enough uh, experience and track record. And I had come of age. La. So I started doing the kids' parties, just minus dressing up. And it, for me, it was easy. La. Less hassle. Because getting into suit and cleaning out of suit is like bloody half an hour you know, effort. Yeah, man. I can imagine. La. And now all I do is wear a party hat wear some flamboyant clothing, jump around and do the same thing that I was doing with my same magic. And people were having Mm. just as much fun. I was like, hey, this is easy money. And so Mm. at this point, I had a party planner hiring me directly per gig paying me 500. So Mm. a month used to give me four to five, sometimes eight shows. So times five, you do the math. As a fresh Mm. grad, 
back then, uh, fresh grad salary was only thousand five in the year two thousand and two in Malaysia. Yeah, a degree holder, mind you, ah, uh, diploma don't mm. even talk. Yeah. So I was banging four k a month, you know, three mm. k a month. I was doing very well by fresh grad standards. The same way yeah. we had this conversation about you when you mm. when you did the math on on where you were and 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 what you were earning, and so it was mm. a no brainer, lah, you know. Mm. Um. Yeah. So, uh, I started focusing on emceeing, and and I was still a party entertainer. Just no, I just became jiggy MC jiggy lah. Yeah. 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 So that's what it was. So I did that, and then um, being at events, I started DJing. So I had I started getting requests to DJ, so I started DJing. But I wasn't a DJ the way you go to clubs and they mix. I just mm. had very good uh music acumen. I could read the crowd, so mm. I became a guy who knew how to play the right music. For the right crowd, ah. so that is called chopping. You basically play a track; it finishes, and you just nicely fade into the next one. You don't mix the beats. You mm. play music that people want to hear. It's different. Mm. So, I, I a DJ works. A DJ of that nature works very well in events because they are not looking to hire one superstar club mixing DJ. They just mm. want good music, and they want music that they want to hear. Mm. So, I was an event DJ, and that worked very well. I did that for almost. Uh, Ten years, you know, before my last gig was for Puk, uh, for uh, Coca Cola in Phuket. They flew me there. I emceed, and then followed by the after party. I I DJed for six hours. Like I almost died. Ran out of music also. Mm. Yeah. So that was my last DJing gig. But yeah. So 2003, I started uh, going to events as a as an, a party host, as a DJ, and I realized like, oh, events, uh, not very hard. Like, I think I can do also, lah. So mm. I started selling myself as an event planner, and I started doing small, small annual dinners. I remember my yep. first annual dinner was three thousand ringgit. I hired the sound and lights for thousand two and thousand eight. I I I paula. So that was my pure profit. Small little annual dinner for eighty people in Tropicana Golf Club. Ah. So it was just my sound system, and I was the MC. That's it. So I had one guy there controlling the music, and we ran the whole program, lah. So that's where dinner and dancers became my baby, lah. And then fast forward to last year, December for Air Asia, five thousand people. I was on stage with Black Eyed Peas and all that. So, you know, <laughs> that the journey, lah. So, anyways, my yeah. first break came in two thousand and four. I did a very big uh, launch for a multi-level company, but the biggest break I I got, which set me up to where I am today, was in. Uh, Two thousand and five, I landed a half a million dollar, actually slightly more than half a million ringgit uh, annual dinner event. So after I finished that event, I took that seed money and I built my own office and hired my first staff. And he's still with me till today, lah. So he's my longest serving employee. Oh, that's nice, man. Yeah, and then two thousand and six onwards, we just went lah all out. And last year alone, we did events in Singapore, Bali, Bangkok. Uh, mm. I I went to MC in Shanghai. Um, and of course, I mean, so far I've emceed in Canada and all across Southeast Asia. While I was in while I was in school in the US, so I emceed. But what was really nice for me was uh, four years ago, lah. My university recognized me and flew me back to America to give me an award, lah. So that was very touching, lah. Oh, oh, that's the yeah. Because I'm looking at your resume. Yeah, the outstanding business leader. So, ah, so, this I'm thinking like, huh? Like recently, yeah. I mean, the one that early 2000, I get it, but like recently, oh, okay. Yeah, so that was it's an award they give out to business leaders across America, and in the history of the event, I was the first non-American and first non-Caucasian. <laughs> oh, to receive that award? <laughs> yes, it was strange. I oh. was on stage. Congrats, with, man! I was on stage with seven billionaires who flew in on their private jets, and I'm like, "What the hell am I doing here, lah?" I said, "This doesn't make sense. I don't belong with this group." But they were like, "No, you know, we're all about the." To be very honest, between you and me, I think it suddenly struck them. It's about diversity. We need to show more than white faces, and suddenly, like, "Oh yeah, remember our alumni? I think he's doing something all right, lah. Let's just call him." But you know. Because after that, it's gone back to all white, lah. For the last three years, I've. <laughs> <laughs> you were the hope, lah, to the to the brown gate. Oh my god! <laughs> but, you know, and and yeah, lah. But it was nice because, um, yeah, they know that I started the business in 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 university, and mm. you know the the professors who yeah. remember my journey, I feel they were are genuinely happy. Those who don't know me from Adam, probably like who the fuck is this fella, lah? Like what is he? What does he? What what has he done to deserve being in the same panel of distinguished uh, high rollers yeah. and all that? But yeah, I mean, you know, 
Yeah, so that was that last. So yeah, here we are, like, you know, down the road now with with all these events and and now comes the what's next kind of thing, like, you know. Mm. You see, it's interesting that you said that when you are on stage with uh, those billionaires and you said that only lecturers will appreciate you because people nowadays, they like to look at the tip of the iceberg. Mm. You know? Like, uh, for example, I'm very sure like some Malaysians will see you, let's say, who don't know you, they'll mm. see, ah, this fly, he owns a few sports cars, he's happy, he's doing this, doing that. But no one... No- I think people only appreciate someone when they know the struggles. Yeah, so till till today, it's funny you actually picked up on that. Uh, a lot of people think I'm some dato son who's had life easy because exactly uh, my public persona is Mr. Happy Go Lucky. Yep. So hmm. nobody understands that I live that life because I have worked for it and I choose to be happy go lucky because I didn't have an easy life growing up. So now that mm. I have the means for it, I'm going to spoil myself silly and do whatever the fuck I want and nobody's going to tell me yes or no. Correct. Exactly, yeah. People... That's why I like to start about the beginning. Like, well, <laughs> but now, they've, now that you have told me that you worked as a waiter, yeah. right? people don't know that you have struggled so much. Right? People don't know that you have to buy a second-hand car with no aircon, wear don't know how many clown suits. Now all they see are ah, this guy, he got a BMW, Porsche, he he colors his beard every single every <laughs> single hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean Oh, you shaved it off, right? Yeah, now it's I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm returned to innocence lah. <laughs> wanted to match you with your minimal facial hair lah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's why I like hearing stories because to me, the reason why lecturers will appreciate you is because they saw your struggles. Mm. That's why. When people don't see your struggles, that's when they don't appreciate you. That's why why is the royal family, yeah, Negri Sambilan, they, the, the guy spoke to you at the urinal, he saw your journey. Mm. But people who see the tip of the iceberg, they won't, not all, but most of them won't really appreciate you as much as uh, compared to they knowing what you went through in the late 90s and early 2000s. Right, yeah. But you know, if I didn't go through all that, so let's just put it this way. If I was born into a rich family uh, and, and it was given to me, I, I wouldn't be this person today, you know. Of course. Mm. Uh, because everything that has happened to me has shaped me to be the person I am today. And I'm not saying that I'm great or I've, I've achieved anything and everything. But all I'm saying is um, knowing what I came from and what opportunities then entered my life and I took it, I am very happy with the outcome. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, you know, like I know for a fact that Nobody can come and say, I made you who you are. I only owe anything to the grace of God who has seen me through. Lah. And of course, mm. of course, I can name about 10 to 15 people who are pivotal in my journey along the yep. way. Because people come and go. People enter your life and people leave. Some people yep. are seasonal. Some friends are seasonal. Um, some mentors are seasonal. And I can tell you straight up that there are such people who have shaped my life. Uh, I've not done this alone. No way. No way. But at the end of the day, it is still a lonely journey. It is just you with your own thoughts and what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, so I, I'm pretty sure many others can resonate with this. Like maybe they just don't talk about it. See, the difference is there are some businesses where it's like a family. So a couple of brothers and sisters, especially the second and third generation. I, I don't have that luxury, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't have a family business or, or siblings who are part of the business or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, in that sense, even, even my employees, they are my employees, you know. They're not my mm. business partners. Yeah. So, it's different. It's different. You know, I've off, I mean, my, my one goal and dream is how do I scale myself beyond this? So, that's what I'm working towards to to create this this new this new uh, situ- scenario where there's a way to scale myself bigger than... Because at the end of the day, what I've, what I've built now is something that is built around me. So if there's no me, there's, there's no jiggy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's both a good and a bad thing. Lah. Yeah. Hmm. So in your 20 years, I'm very sure you did like <clears throat> thousands of events. Mm-hmm. Which was the most difficult experience and how did you overcome it? Uh, there's only one event that till today, you know, it scared the crap out of me and the, the thought of it still makes me shudder. Yeah, the year was mm. 2009 or 10. Mm. Uh, and the event was in Bangkok for an American mm. client where I had done the event. 
So they were doing a regional launch of their brand. So we did the launch in KL. They were very, very happy with it. They said, mm. okay, let's take this event, carbon copy it, produce it in Thailand. I said, okay, no problem. And at that point, of course, I knew not a single soul in Thailand events industry. Lah. And the, yep. they did the event at the Four Seasons, you know. So if you know much about mm. hotels, Four Seasons is a six-star hotel. Lah. Mm. Um, so it was in the heart of Bangkok. And it was during Songkran. So if you know Songkran, is like Chinese New Year. Lah. The, country yep. sh- the country shuts down. So, long story short, the vendor that I hired to support me um, mm. had basically said yes to everything, lah. Yeah, you know. And then um, leading up to the event, when I was there, the on on site, the truth began to unravel, lah. Uh, mm. and, and so, long story short. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. La. I'll summarize it as quickly as I can. The launch prop, the launch gambit was delivered broken to my hotel. The exhibition was set up leaning and slanting against the hotel walls, marble walls. Uh, mm. The posters that were supposed to be bilingual, these clowns went and did fully in Thai only. Oh. Uh, so it was like all manner of fuck-ups, one after another. You know, like we had 48 hours to set up the ballroom. In KL, eight hours, we would have called them. 48 hours, VIPs are entering the ballroom. These clowns are not done. Right. So I didn't sleep for almost two days. And the kicker is, I'm also the MC of the launch. Oh my goodness. So, you know, back then, the, the, the budget was tight. So obviously, there's no way in heaven I could have stayed at the Four Seasons with my team. Because I went with mm. two of my, my event team from KL. So we stayed like, at one cheap-ass hotel down the road. And we were, yep. there was no grab. There was fuck all back then. Lah. So yeah. we're going through the night and I needed to go back. So at 5 or 6 a.m., I caught a taxi, went back to the hotel, picked up my suit and whatever not, came back, continued monitoring the setup. And about 8 o'clock, my client gives me his room. He's like, John, you go and change and come back down in your suit. Because he already knew that I was going to hell and back. So okay. I, I actually saw my whole life flash before my eyes at this event. I thought to myself, this client is going to, sue me and they're not going to pay me and then I'm going to be in deep shit because mm. the vice president of the company was coming down and this company is headquartered ironically in Michigan Troy Michigan oh yeah and damn. it's a it's a brand that I kn- I knew from my university days because it's an automotive brand and my mm. university has a very strong automotive program I see mm. we run our own international auto show every year my university is quite hot so I was on team Subaru and team Lexus the two years I was there Mm. Yeah, I had a chance to drive the Forester and all tearing it down the road, all quite fun. Um, yeah, so uh, where was I going with this? Right, so that event, so the event happened and everything, like I'm, I realized that the event, I mean, my event support team in Thailand promised me a team who could speak Thai, uh, English. So okay. you, can ass- you can assure what happened. Lah. Uh, mm. You can assume what happened, I should say. Event <laughs> yeah. day, he's the only one who spoke English. <laughs> Everybody else, we were relying on sign language and whatnot else, lah. So I can, mm. I even remember the launch campaign was supposed to have been something happening and then a thing splitting and out came a car. But what people saw when they came into the ballroom was the the, the split already open, the car already there, and the only act of launch was we gave the VIP a, a Thai gong to hit, mm. you know, and and there was some drum show and all that. But because in America, where I came from, the Midwest, where I, I knew, for them, a, a launch of an event is what? No, they'll, they'll get together in the Hilton. They'll have one signing ceremony at the head table, shake some hands, take photo, have some tetani, and off they go. Hmm. So here... No ribbon, huh? na- I mean, nothing. So here, we had nice setup in a hotel. We had drums. Yep. We had dancers. You know, cultural show all. So the boss from the US was just beaming from year to year. Hmm. For him, this is like Hollywood standard already. Yeah. So, because of that, the two uh, stakeholders that I was dealing with, which was the uh, the head of that company in Malaysia who reported to his head in Australia, both of them, their knees were shaking. They're like, listen, Jiggy, just fix it. Just fix it. Just fix mm. it. What's plan A? What? You know, I've never heard of plan A that ended up in plan J. Because mm. these, And I saw how bad it was that the event guy I had hired in, in, in Bangkok I saw that when I went backstage to the loading area, I saw that some parts he was being held ransom. Like, if you don't pay me now, I'm not going to set up for you. Like, his subcons. Mm. And 
I knew things were fishy when I first landed there after all the prep and we were leading up to the one week to the setup. And he kept chasing me for money and I'd already paid him the 50%. So for me, it's like I pay 50%. The balance is after you deliver, what? Mm, yeah, correct. When you start asking me for more advances, more advances. So I remember running around Bangkok going to find ATMs to go and punch money with my Malaysian ATM card now. Mm. So I should have already known something was wrong. Lah. So anyways, we got through and I'm so grateful that the the client, the the, the one sitting in Australia and 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 KL, um, you know, they never they never pushed anything through. Lah. They just said, um, okay, everything's ended. It is what it is, but they paid me the balance. You know, if they never paid me, I would have been screwed, man. Mm. But for me, till today, that's still the. Wo- I mean, I didn't sleep day for two days, and mm. and the stress, the worry, and just watching just things just unfurl all negatively mm. when you've planned so well. But since then, I found good partners, and now I've done some lots of successful events in Bangkok. Obviously, that joker, I never paid him his balance, lah. Rest assured. Hmm. Um, but you paid him more than 50 lah of course were, of right? course of course but I mean uh, I must have lost about I didn't pay him 40% maybe okay yeah something okay. along those lines are, but of course he chased me he chased everyone and I said listen uh, you didn't deliver your end lah so don't don't even hope hmm. yeah yeah but at least this is a scenario where the event was bad <clears throat> but at least the client didn't go harsh on you lah or were they harsh uh, that's what I'm saying I'm so grateful they were not you know Mm. I'm so grateful because they could have really, you know. Correct. I mean, I don't know what could have gone wrong, lah, dude. Mm. Uh, so to date, nothing, nothing yet, nothing else has uh, gone beyond that, lah. You know. Have you come across a client who's like so harsh, and how do you overcome? Overcome what you call that? Uh, critics, sir. Uh? Uh, do you have? Uh, yeah, only you have your own... the one, the only one time that I ever, ever had a really bad one, and this one's mm. gonna get a bit bad. Because I was a one-man show still. The year was 2000 and maybe four. I uh, know 2003, 2004 when I was still a one-man show. Mm. And my friend's auntie worked for this property developer. Lah. I'm not going to tell the name of the company because they're mm-hmm. still around. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember they were launching this uh, low-cost homes and also they were building cheap schools in rural areas and all that garbage lah for the government. Mm. And so my job was to have taken photos uh, and help them with the launch and, and and frame up a photo as a memento for the VIP and all that rubbish for the ribbon cutting ceremony. Mm. So I hired a professional photographer. He went and took photos, came back. So it was, yeah, I think it was 2002 lah or 2003 because I remember carrying a floppy disk and going to my client's office to show them the photos. Floppy <laughs> disk, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're old enough to remember a floppy lah. No, I've used this before. Oh, really? Floppy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I remember when the first a Pacer thumb drive came out. I bought it, 32 mm. MB. Okay, that one I don't know. I think 256 MB I've seen, but 32 no lah. That was the start of it, dude. It was, oh. uh, and I remember paying like 100 ringgit for it. Then MB, yeah. Now I carry mm. a 128 gig pen drive. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I I remember going to this client's office, loaded the pe- uh, the fl- the floppy and showing them all the photos lah. Okay, choose which one you want to use. Hmm. Right. Then suddenly the boss comes in lah, as in the CEO of the company or whatever, some Dato Sri fella lah, Ch- hmm. Chinese gentleman. He comes and looks it over, and then he starts running a train on me. You killing? You trying to cheat me? Ah, wah wah. He used he used that word. Actually, did they? Oh my god. I was goodness. like, uh, what the heck and, and mind you, I was on my knee because the computer desktop was on the floor, you know. So I had put the desktop in and I was using the mouse and scrolling, lah, showing them the photos. Okay. Yeah. And then he comes over this whole towering figure, and then even all his employees, all these young girls and men and women, all Chinese, all like, shit, what what do we do? Huh? What's going on? Huh? Hmm. Sorry, why is he scolding? Uh he was basically saying that the photos were crap and it wasn't what he wanted. He must have had a bad day, lah. I don't know what his problem okay, was. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So uh, you know, it was just something along those lines, uh, saying that we were I was conning him, lah. <laughs> okay. So ironically, after that, the entire team felt so bad. They helped me make sure the event went through, and then I did a few events for them. And I remember one time I was on stage, I was emceeing, and I had to call him up. To the side. For me, it was like, ah, you sucker, you call me whatever you want, but I'm still taking your money, motherfucker. <laughs> That was inside my heart, lah. 
<laughs> Way to go. I'm on team Jiggy with this. <laughs> you know, and then the best part was after that, I'll never forget lah. The day came, they called me. I said, I'm sorry lah. Your budget is too small lah. Because now I do for SP Satya and Eco World All. You guys can't afford me. I was like, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. every dog has his day lah. Yeah. And true enough, they are just a small developer today lah. They, mm. they even were then. They were nobody to deal with. It's just that, you know, now down the... But all I'm saying is, yeah, so these are two distinct events that definitely have made a difference. Other than that, yeah, the rest have all, you know, all of them have great memories. But of course, the, the one client who has really put me uh, on the, you know, out there is, and I really am so grateful for the opportunity, is Asia, because the last three years, we've had a chance to produce the annual dinner and their mm-hmm. other part. We've done their biggest parties for the last three years, you know. Uh, Asia X and all that. So, you yeah. know, we've had a chance to work with international international artists and uh, even the international artists were very happy with us. They say, hey, this is a, they told Asia, you know, these guys are world-class production team. You know, they're really good. We travel the world, but these guys really know what they're doing and all that. So, for me, it's like, I, I never would have imagined in my wildest dreams, lah, you know. Correct. Because yeah. international, when I, someone international like gives good feedback on you, yeah. that's a whole new level, you know, compared to a local. Not that I'm looking down on Malaysians. Yeah. But to show that, hey, look, we are Malaysians and we can be international. You and know, and like... here's a funny story since I mentioned Air Asia. Ironically, in the year 2002, my my old neighbor in my family home where I grew up, he had mm. already had a little uh, advertising company. He's now migrated, living in Australia. He's no longer here. So he okay. had won the account for Air Asia in the year 2002 when they were just starting out. So his job, the account that he won, was to promote them because they had just moved from Sultan Abdul Samad Shah, Subang Airport. They had moved to KLIA. Oh. So me and my buddy, that clown fella, Gobi, yep. we were, he had hired me and given me this guerrilla marketing contract. So I went and made balloons, cup and stick, hired two girls. Me and Gobi had Asia flag all. We draped ourselves. We ran around KLIA like maniacs, dude. We have all we had all access. Uh, this is like people get off the plane. We are right there in their face, shoving balloons in their faces. And I even came up with a tagline: Air Asia, the best way around Asia." Because at that point, oh. it was the nine ninety nine KL to Langkawi flight. Ah. And I remember wearing an Air Asia flag and literally jumping up around the hotel on on chairs on table doing magic show day. <laughs> and I never met Tony then because at that point it seems Tony used to even be at the plane giving out food and going down the aisle in the early days mm. Mm. and I did that it was a one week contract you know and so then I forgot about it I forgot that I did for Air Asia the year was oh. 2002 and who would have thought that they would have grown to become who they were and fast forward that they would become my biggest client it's, I I wish I would have this opportunity to interview Tony one day and talk to him about this because he didn't know yeah. me then and only this year at the during backstage when we were waiting for uh, Black Eyed Peas to come on stage, and because this is the first time I emceed for them, they have never allowed external MCs. It has always been uh, one gentleman who, very sadly, last year he passed away. And okay. so this year, last year, in fact, I emceed pro bono. Uh, they refused to pay my fee. Mm. Uh, that one I'll say openly, lah. I don't care. Uh, but then everybody's like, "Who's this fella, lah?" Because I was causing havoc all. Then anyway, Tony was backstage waiting for Black Eyed Peas. He started questioning me. He's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're my event planner, huh? but you're emceeing also. You're Indian. Huh? I say, yeah, yeah. You know, we just had this small talk all. I was like, yeah. Tony, Tony, if you only knew lah. You know, because it'll be nice for him to know that as much as he's built his little thing. But I was there when he started. I watched the journey. Yeah. And, and then suddenly he's also given my portfolio a major jump by mm. a lot. I mean, it wasn't his work. Like, his team selected us lah. Yeah, you know, mm. but in, you know, it's ironic, like, This little uh, mm. the story there because our timelines are quite similar, you know, Asia and me. Correct. The age, he doesn't know, la. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Oh, dude, you should. Uh, I mean, once this pandemic is over, yeah, like you should, uh, you should give it a shot, man. I want like, to interview him. him I want to interview yeah. him on my uh, on my show, la. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, la. In a nutshell, that's the journey, la, dude. I mean, that's where we are. That's 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 what I you know what it has become now, and now it's like what's next, la, You know. Hmm. Uh, it's nice la, listening to your story. I think uh, more people should know about uh, the difficult times you went through, man, To for you to be like one of the best event agency companies that do like major events, not just in Malaysia, but all around the world. So that's, uh, I don't know much uh, event companies, you know, that do events as big as yours and uh, 
do it internationally. Well, so there's a lot of big uh, players in town, a lot, but not many who do regional work. So I like that part of what we do. Mm. Uh, there's so many. There's actually there's about ten event companies way bigger than us, but they don't they don't market themselves because they are doing so well and they've got such anchor clients. And I know all of them, and they for me, they are probably looking at me going like, "Yeah, you bloody small boy," because I know what they do. And true enough, they do much larger events, like, and I mean larger, like from just the scale of work they do and all that. But for some reason, they're all very low profile. I'm not sure why. If they wanted mm. to shout their work, but I think from a regional standpoint, yeah, I, I do a fair amount of regional, like maybe more than they do, like They do more here in in Malaysia only. Ah, okay. so. I mean, I, I know of these few and, and, and they're all huge, but they're very, very low profile. I, I'm not sure why. Maybe, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But else for me, I like to shout it off the rooftops. Lah. I'm a bit shameless mm. that way. Yeah, Ladu, marketing is very important. Lah. Yeah. Especially in the entertainment line. Yeah. You could have the best work, best service, best product. No one knows you. Sorry. Lah. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. Lah, because at the end of the day, I was, I, I was taught in America and there they teach you to be thick-skinned and shameless. Yeah. Mm, yeah you know, so that part of it, I, I do it uh, really shamelessly. So that's the part that people see, right? So all they see is this obnoxious fellow who's full of himself. Lah. Honestly, I know that's how people perceive me. Mm. I know that for a fact. But, you know, it's all a show. Lah. Right. It's all marketing and branding. Lah. You like, you don't like. Lah. Up to you. Mm. But when I'm with my clients, then they... So the, the, the only difference is sometimes there are clients who are like, Hey, you sure? No, you talk so big. I said, no problem. Lah. Money back guarantee. Let's watch. Mm. And then after mm. that, we never lose the account. Because mm. sometimes some clients feel like, oh, this fellow is just a salesman. Mm. You know, but I've also learned that so far, if I say something, I make sure it happens. Uh. Mm. So yeah, that, that's, that's it, man. That's, it's uh, always inspiring uh, to hear from you, Jiggy. Okay, for <laughs> the last part of this podcast, yeah. for every episode, I have this uh, I have this part where it's called Just Answer. Uh. Okay. So it's a quick fire question. All right. It's either A or B. Like there's no right okay, or wrong. Okay. Okay. So let's start. Canu <clears throat> uh, Reeves in Matrix or John Wick? John Wick, la, dude. Are you kidding? Uh? Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Uh, Backstreet Boys. Football team, Brazil or Argentina? I don't care about football to save my life. You have to pick one, bro. I don't give a fuck, la, so I'll just say Brazil la, just for the fun of it. <laughs> Country to migrate to, Laos or Bangladesh? Laos. Country to travel to, Afghanistan or Iraq? Uh, both, but I'll go Afghanistan. You have to live the life of a cockroach or a fly? Fly. Which food cuisine, Thai or Indonesian? Thai. Pick a 90s Japanese sports car, Honda NSX or Toyota Supra? Supra. If you were paid 10 million USD to migrate to North Korea, would you do it? Oh, hell yes. Okay, I thought you were going to say no. <laughs> I would, I would. <laughs> Korean, Korean girls quite nice lah. North Korea, no? So what? They're still Korean girls, what? <laughs> I was thinking about this question yesterday, right? And my prediction was you're going to say no because think about it. What what events do they have in North Korea? Probably detention. No, I will have uh, missile <laughs> missile firing action events. <laughs> Can you imagine you're meeting the client now? What's the theme for this year? Same thing, uh, Jiggy. It's always army. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's nice having you here, Jiggy. And uh, thank you so much for being part of my podcast. You know, it's only the third episode. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you do. And I do hope that we'll come out of this pandemic. And uh, Jiggy turns 20. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. And yeah, that's about it, I guess. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jiggy. And to all those who are listening, uh, please catch uh, Jiggy John on social media. He has his own podcast show. So go and check it out. It's all on uh, YouTube, on Instagram, Facebook, you name it. All right, that's all and thank you. Thank you.